Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning, Lord. Father, as we sit here this beautiful day, God, I intercede, Father, for the people of California, God. Father, even now, as hospitals are being evacuated, Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that your hand of mercy would be upon that state, Father, that you would stop the fires, Lord, that you would contain them, Father, that the innocent would be protected, Father. Father, we thank you that you are greater than this fire, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you that you are sovereign over all things and that you are sovereign over this. And we just pray against fear and terror there, Lord. And, uh, Father, I thank you that um, we have freedom to worship you, God. And we also pray, Father, and intercede for those who don't have the freedom to worship you, Lord. And we pray that you would strengthen the persecuted church this day, Lord. And we take we take a lesson and courage from their courage, Father. And uh, we thank you that even as your word is, is persecuted, Father, that it goes forth even stronger and that your word never comes back void, Father. And we thank you for that return today, Lord. So as we enter into this time, God, we give you all praise and all glory, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.
that we will be as innocent as doves and wise as serpents. Pray, God, that we would be about our Father's business, that we would declare today and throughout every day, not my will, but your will be done. Thank you, Father, for this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it's living by God's power. Not just a lot of talk, but living by God's power. As I said a few, uh, a few minutes ago, we're actually going to 1 Thessalonians. Next week, we will pick up um, walking through the Bible, and I'll send out those scriptures to remind us um, what we're walking through. <clears throat> First Thessalonians, and before we open this up, we're actually going to read through First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. Now, before you think, oh, that's a lot to read, they're actually short letters um, that Paul wrote to this church that I think it's, it's so vital that we hear it today for us. As it was meant for them, it is the living word of God. Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. So it's the living word of God. And as it ministered to the church then, as it has ministered through to the church throughout the ages, as it ministers to us today and for the ages to come, this is a word that we need to hear. So being off for two weeks and being on vacation, getting away from all the distraction and spending time really seeking the Lord. And I love that song, as he laid me down in green pastures. You know, he reminded me of his sovereignty, of, of, of his goodness, of his love, and of his mercy. But he also reminded me that we are at war. And I've been encouraging us for months now that we are behind enemy lines. I want to encourage us that we don't stay so focused on the enemy, but that our focus is on God. But we have to know where we're at in order to get to where we're going. In Christ, in Christ alone. It's never in and of our own strength. Salvation is nothing that we brought to ourselves or gave to ourselves. No, it's found in Christ and in Christ alone. That is your position. The Bible, and we talked about it a lot and we hear it a lot, what is our position? We're in Christ. We're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We're, we're living out of a place of victory. Not, not longing for victory. No, we are already victorious in Christ. So it's a change of mindset. It's knowing that you've been born again of a new identity and, and walking in the newness of life and the wholeness of life, but remembering you're behind enemy lines. The world is going to hate you because it hates Christ. It hates Christ. I mean, when you recognize, and, and we talk a lot about it here, I talk a lot about it, not to glamorize it, but the reality of it, the importance of knowing 
who Christ is and who you are in him in order to remain upright in a crooked world. This world is getting darker. And it has to. And as I've been kind of seeking the Lord and praying through and just kind of meditating upon his goodness and upon prophecy over these past two weeks and the return of Christ, like leading up to his return, the world is going to get chaotic. This world is not our home. And so to continue to preach to the church to where they're comfortable in this world is an error. We need to preach to the church and to the lost upon the return of our God in hopes that people would be saved and in through them coming to Christ and being saved that they would mature and that they would grow, that they would be discipled and be about our Father's business in order to accomplish His purpose for His kingdom, for His glory, by His power to advance the kingdom of God. To radically go forth each and every single day preaching the gospel. The good news of Jesus. The hope in a darkened world. Not that we would remain in this world. Because this world world is not our home. But there is a way out of it. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. There is a way out. And I just keep encouraging us. I mean, look at what's happening. I mean, it's crazy. The level of the occult, the level of perversion. I mean, things are so twisted now. Who would have ever thought that we would be seeing a commercial where now it's promoted that guys are having periods? Where would we ever get to where now women... (laughs) are no longer admired as being women (laughs) because now a man can be a woman. Men are being transitioning into into women. Women are transitioning into men. (laughs) There's no identity of how God created man and woman. It is trying to be stripped from society Perversion is at its utmost highest and it's only going to get worse. Marriage is not even honored anymore. Everyone is just giving themselves to anything and everything and anyone and everyone. There's no standard of wholeness, of righteousness in the church. We know how the world is going to live, but we're finding it in the church. And something is wrong when we have adapted ourselves to the culture around us because that's not how the church is to be. And yet then we want to point our fingers at them when we actually should be pointing it at ourselves. Like we are to be a people who are set apart for his purpose, for such a time as this, to be able to boldly declare God's truth. I mean, I just read a report yesterday where people are being, overseas in Europe, where people are being arrested if they tell their testimony that they were once gay and now they're Christians. Their licenses are being removed from them. 
They're spending time in jail. They're losing their livelihood, all because they announced their faith in Jesus. I mean, we're reading reports where, where people are, and pastors and Christians are being persecuted at the highest level ever for just sharing the good news of Jesus. Like, people are looked upon, even in our nation, as the, as the tide is rising up. That if you're declaring the goodness of Jesus, the wholeness, the truth of Jesus, you're looked at as something is wrong with you. I read a thing this morning where the pastor was encouraging people to memorize the Bible. He says, because the days are coming when the Bible is going to be stripped from us. And he's talking about America. That when you look at the church and you look at how society is looking at the church, they see us as number one in their number one enemy. They want to silence us. But we're not to be silent. We're to be bold. We're to live upright. We're to declare the truth. We're not to partake. We're not to go along with. Because remember, as I've been encouraging us, we need to care more about people's eternity than we are their temporalness of life. Their eternities. Are they in Christ or are they separated from Him? It's only two options. And we need to care, especially if we're Christians, we need to care. We need to love. We need to serve as Christ loves them and as he serves them. And then we all, then, in the same thing, in the same understanding as that, we're to uphold truth to those who are saying that they're Christians. And holding them accountable. And not allowing them to trample the blood of Christ under their feet. And I say that all the time and just splashing it up on us. And making it so common that it is nothing. How sad. Oh, that we would know our God. (laughs) That we would know Jesus. And so I love the fact that as we open up 1 Thessalonians, this letter that Paul wrote, I'm just going to kind of give you the... The, um, um, the overview of this letter. It says, Like a father instructing his growing children, Paul urged the Thessalonians to lead lives worthy of Christ's kingdom. Don't miss that. You need to capture that if you're going to understand this letter that we're opening. If you're going to understand the life in which you are called to live. Listen to this. He urged them to lead lives worthy of Christ's kingdom. Is your life, are you living a life worthy of Christ's kingdom? Again, not in and of yourself. It's not about you. It's about Christ. Are you honoring Christ with how you are living? Because that's how you ought to be living. And I love how it says here, Paul urged the Thessalonians to lead lives worthy of Christ's kingdom, which would soon be established. This was one of Paul's first epistles, and he wrote it shortly after the church was founded at Thessalonica. Paul opened the letter by commending the Thessalonians for their faith 
and eagerness to spread the gospel throughout the region. He encouraged them to remain strong for the sake of the gospel despite persecution. Remain strong. He encouraged them to go, to preach the gospel. Are you preaching the gospel? You ought to be. And to remain strong despite the persecution. After expressing his longing to see them, Paul also guided the church and a few practical matters addressing, remember, he's talking to the church, adultery, drunkenness, disrespect, and obstruction of the Holy Spirit's work. Did you hear that? This is what he was addressing to the church. Again, all this is going on out in the world. He's not addressing the world. He's addressing the church because she's to be different. She is the bride of Christ. And there's a way in which she is to live her life. So he was addressing a few practical matters. Adultery, drunkenness, disrespect, and obstruction of the Holy Spirit's work. Paul corrected these believers while affirming his love for them. Some believers whose relatives had died needed comfort and reassurance that their relatives would also be included in the kingdom. So Paul's discussion about Christ's return also encouraged the believers, listen to this, to live in constant hope. That's why I always say, when you hear me say it's getting darker out there, and you say, well, where... Where's hope in that? Look up. Because he's the light, and he's called us into his light, and now we are to be the light shining bright in the midst of darkness. As the world is growing darker, we should be growing brighter because we have this constant hope that Jesus is returning. And so we don't get caught up in the chaos around us, Because when we see it getting darker, we know the time is getting closer. So how are you living? The time is getting closer to the return of Christ. And and as I was reflecting on that and thinking about that, and I I joined a a seminar um, via the web while I was away. It It was titled Discipling in the End Times and the Evil Times. How to disciple in the times in which we are living. Because everything is against Christ, His kingdom, His reign, His rule, His lordship, everything that's out there, and everything that we're finding in some churches. They're not preaching the Jesus of the Bible, they've gone astray. But God help us to to remain strong and, and confident in our hope of his return. How are we living? Christ is returning. And I thought about it as well, is if we don't have that understanding, we, we are lacking vision for our life. And without a vision, we perish. 
Like every day, Christ is returning. I'm going to post a picture within the next day or so, and it just—it meant it's just powerful. It's—it's it's a bride dressed in her gown, and she's looking out the window. And I said that, and it represents the church. She's awaiting her groom. She's already adorned. She's already prepared for him. Are you prepared? We have to be. He's coming. And I was thinking, God, years ago, even before I was a Christian, and we talked about that, I shared this before, I used to think these people were crazy talking about the return of Christ. And now I see myself as one of those people. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's all I'm captivated by. It's his return. And I said, God, even if I wanted to <laughs> turn from you, what foolish, what a fool I would be because everything is evident, everything is very clear in front of me that you're returning. That everything your word says is true. The world, the chaos, Israel, everything that's happening around the world. And it's all leading to this one world establishment. And then you see such a great deception on the earth today. And it's only going to increase and you go, don't these people see? And then you're reminded, or I'm reminded, no, they're blind. They actually believe what they believe. It is their truth. And yet they're walking straight into hell. Oh, that we would care for them. To be bold with our witness, to declare the gospel no matter how they respond to us, that we will boldly tell others and encourage others to turn to Christ. Paul opens up. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the, to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God, the Father and the, um, the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give you grace and peace. We always thank God for all of you, and we pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we thank of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you read this, can this be said of you? Because it ought to be. And it's not that you beat yourself up and you say, oh, I'm a bad Christian, because then you're just looking at yourself. And self has no room in the, in the Christian life. You're to deny yourself. You're to pick up the cross and you're to follow him. What is stated about this church should be able to be stated about your life. that others see that you are a faithful worker for the kingdom. That they see your loving deeds and the enduring hope you have because of your Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on, We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be His own people. So you can underline that, you can highlight that, because that's something that is always brought to the forefront of our gatherings, is the purpose. What is God's purpose? That He will have a people that He will call His own, and in return they will call Him their God. 
And look, here's a great reminder here for us in, in the scripture. God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. And that ties in with our scripture for the year, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. It's just not a lot about a lot of words, but it's about living through God's power. So we're just not saying a lot of words to people and have nothing to back it up. Because if you're sharing the gospel, if you're truly a Christian, it's going to be evident in your lifestyle. It's just not going to be a lot of words and no life to back it up. That's why we have to be mindful of those that were around that are calling themselves Christians and not living like one. (laughs) They are tarnishing the name of Christ and they're a tool of the enemy. The enemy is working overtime to pervert the word of God and to pervert the lives of people. So that when they're saying they're a Christian or they're talking about Christ and they have no evidence of transformation or a new birth within them, people look and say, well, then what good is Christ? Because you're no different than me. But people ought to see a change. They ought to be desiring of what hope they see in you. What is it that's different about you? How can you continue to persevere and to love and to serve? How can you continue to face the challenges that you're facing and yet get up every day rejoicing? Because of Christ. I once knew you this way, but now I see you this way. What is it? No, it's who is it? It's Christ. These people were changed. And Paul is addressing this and thanking God for this. It says here in verse 5, For when he brought you the good news, or for when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with, the, with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true, and you know our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. See, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, these Christians lived their lives out before the people. The lives of these people were impacted not because of these men, but because of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's work that brings forth salvation. As we are serving Christ, as we're serving others, as we're declaring the good news of Jesus, it's not you that transformed the lives of people. It's the Holy Spirit. You just be about your Father's business to sow and to water. The Spirit will harvest. And when the harvest comes forth, they receive it, look at this, with joy in spite of severe suffering. I don't know when we think that the the church has transitioned into a time on this earth where it's just going to be peace and joy and and bountiful blessings. 
No, it's only going to get worse. And if they were cautioned here and they were persecuted here, well, then by our lives and by this time and the times to come, it's, it should be worse. It doesn't mean that God won't bless, that God won't care, that God, that God won't provide. But when God blesses, when he provides, it is for his benefit, not yours. You're to give, you're to sow to the kingdom. You're to be kingdom-minded. Because this earth is not your home. So everything you say and everything you do, you do it for the kingdom of God. And yet, what you hear preached a lot is your best life now. How you can obtain everything that you need in this life to be satisfied here and now. When all of this can go in an instant. And then what are you left with? But if you live with a kingdom mindset, if everything you say and do is for the purpose of benefiting his kingdom and advancing his kingdom, everything can be stripped from you. You still have a purpose to advance his kingdom. Rather you're rich, rather you're poor, rather you're up, rather you're down, rather you're healthy, rather you're sick. It doesn't matter rather you're in prison or rather you're free. It doesn't matter. It's the same purpose each and every single day to tell the good news about Jesus. And you're not moved by your circumstances. You're not moved by the tragedy and the chaos that's all around you. No, you're able to stand with the assurance and have joy in spite of all of it. And this way, he goes on, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. Look at what they're seeing. They're seeing that these people's lives are impacting others. And so when they're running into these others and they're sharing their testimony of how they found the people in this area, look what they're saying here. They're being, we're being told about your faith in God. We don't need, he goes on, we don't need to tell them about it. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serving the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to God, I'm sorry, to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Is Jesus, you all. How is your life impacting others? I mean, that is so important. We really truly have got to get up, you all. <laughs> time is running short. No one knows the day, no one knows the hour, but time is running short. And so it is important that we're living in a way that is acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's important. Look what it says there in verse 10. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven. Jesus, whom Christ raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. 
as Christians, we're not to be afraid of the return of the Lord. I know before I was a Christian, I was petrified of it. I was afraid. I was in terror over it. But after coming to Christ, there is such peace. Why am I afraid? You're afraid because you're not living right. If you're provoked by fear of the coming of the Lord, then allow that to draw you to Christ, that you would receive his peace, his salvation. Because remember, you are not deserving of his, of his wrath if you're in Christ. If you accepted Christ as your Savior, if you're living truly as a Christian, you're not destined for his wrath. Because you have received his love and such great love that leads people to freedom. And as we've been talking here the past couple of days about Kanye and his faith in Christ. I tear up every time I listen to him speak. And everyone has their opinion about it. But all I know is this. For a man that has had everything such success in this world and has been involved with every type of filth that is out there for him to boldly declare Jesus' name and the freedom that he has found and look how people are mocking him they're saying that he's lost his mind they're, they're attacking him every which way and not just from the world but even within the church and how sad. God knows his heart. God knows your heart. But there's one thing I know, that when you look upon his countenance, there's an expression of joy when he is speaking. There's a, an expression of certainty that he knows who has saved him, who has set him free. There's an expression when he talks about finding the porno magazine that his dad left, on the table and how he was bound by pornography there's an expression when he talks about the drugs and the alcohol and the womenizing and there's there you see all of the and he's saying who he used to be but jesus is setting free when he himself used to call himself god when he himself used to say he was Jesus. When he was so tormented with chaos in his mind and his, his identity was a hot mess. And even him, even him exposing the industry that is bound by Satan. I mean, he's expressing himself. And then the man interviewing him said to him, but aren't you afraid you're going to lose fans? Aren't you afraid it's going to affect your bottom line? And then he says, I'm only afraid of God. I'm only afraid of God. I'm not afraid of man anymore. I'm not living to please man. I'm not living to do for man anymore. I go, wow. God, this is amazing. And it's not about Kanye. It's about Jesus. And here, Paul is reminding this church. This is where your hope is at. 
You've been rescued. All because of Jesus. He was raised from the dead. And you no longer have to live in terror over his judgment that's coming. There's a way in which you're to live. He goes on, You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. And things were going on in that day as they are now. Preachers get up and their motives are selfish and they do a good show and they shuck and jive and, and they know when to, 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 to hit the high notes and the low notes and to move the crowd, to trick them, to motivate them in a different way. And it's not about that. It's not about putting on a show for people. It's not about entertaining people when they come to church. And that's what church has become. People want to be entertained. If you don't entertain me, then I don't want to be there. But that's not what church is. Church isn't about entertaining you. Church is the body of Christ. It's a collective group of people coming together for the sole purpose of maturing and growing in their newfound faith and their newfound identity in Christ. We're to encourage, we're to edify, we're to build each other up and, and persevere onward together because we know what's ahead of us. We know we live in a fallen world, but we know that God is for us and not against us. And so Paul is saying, we didn't come to you to trick you we didn't have impure motives. You know what we endured. You know our life. And can you say that to others about your Christian life? Do you have the confidence, not in yourself, that you're living the good Christian life? No, no, no. But that you have the confidence in Christ and what he's done in and through you. To boldly declare that I don't go that way any longer. I go the ways of Christ. And to know by even announcing that the world is going to hate you. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to look back like you're the weirdo. But it's okay. Because Christ is for you. He's not against you. Your hope isn't in this world. Your hope is in Christ. He goes on, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel or with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As an apostle of Christ, we certainly had the right to make some demands of you. But instead, we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. And you should highlight that. You should underline that. Because that is how you're to be living. 
He says, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our lives too. And that's what I try to encourage y'all and be an example for you all, is that you're to give yourself to others. First to God, share the good news with them, and then give yourself to them. Not to be a doormat, to be walked over and abused, but to walk through life with them. Love them enough to hold them close and love them enough that when they want to rebel, let them go. But give yourself. Because that's not what Christ did. Your life is not your own any longer in Christ. And that's why it's weird when when we try to hype up and and just get people to Christ and not disciple them. No, you need to be a disciple. You really need to understand who you're saying you belong to. And what he has done for you and what he will continue to do in you until the day of his return. He says, he goes on here, Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witness, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God were consider worthy. Did you hear that? We pleaded with you. We encouraged you and urged you to live lives in a way that God would consider worthy. That's how you're to be living That's how you're to be serving others. It's not just a one-shot deal. No, every time you have an opportunity, plead with them, encourage them, urge them to live lives that honors God. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. I love how he ends it there with that. With that thought. God called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Remember, God is not stiff-arming you. You're stiff-arming God. If you're not in Christ, if you haven't accepted him as a Christian, you're stiff-arming God, and you're the one telling God, you're not God. I'm going to live and do me. All along, God's arms are open to all who would come and accept this free gift of salvation to no longer live for themselves, but to live for Christ, waiting for His eternal kingdom to come and for eternity to live with God, you all. Why would we trade that for the filth and, and and the things and the people of this world? No, 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 no. You were called to share in His kingdom and His glory. This is what we're waiting for. This is why we get up each day behind enemy lines to press in and to persevere, to honor God with our lives, to share it with others. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideals. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. 
And this word continues to work in you who believe. It's a continual process. And then, dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. In this way, you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea, who, because of their faith, I'm sorry, their belief in Christ Jesus suffered from their own people, the Jews. For some of the Jews killed the prophets, and some even killed the Lord Jesus. Now they have persecuted us too. They failed to please God and work against all humanity as they tried to keep us from preaching the good news of salvation to the Gentiles. By doing this, they continue to pile up their sins, but the anger of God has caught up with them at last. So again, this persecution that took place then takes place now, even at a greater level, and it will continue to take place. And that's why I tried to encourage us. That's why I hope you're encouraging other Christians to be diligent in this generation to stand for Christ. Don't cave in to the pressure. Don't cave in to the lure and the deception that the enemy has for you, that your flesh longs for, and what the world tries to offer you. Those are your three enemies. You have the enemy, you have the world, and you have your own flesh. And all of them are working against what God has for you. To draw you out. And it's all meant for your destruction. For eternity. It may feel good in the moment. That's the thing about sin. It feels right. It feels good. If it didn't, you wouldn't do it. You'd be like, I don't want that. No, but it feels right. It feels good. You identify it with it. it for some, for somehow, for some reason, in that moment, in that season, it comforts you. But it's destroying you. Oh, that our eyes would be open. It is only Christ and Jesus alone that can heal you, that can keep you, that makes you whole so that you're not searching out here for value or for worth. No, you only can find it in Christ. And what God has created, he created it to be good. Like we are to enjoy life. We are to enjoy the fruit of our labor. We are to enjoy how God designed life to be lived in all its fullness so that others then look at us and say, you all live differently. You're not doing what we do and you're not searching, you're not living like this, but yet you're happy. Oh, because we're content in Christ. Like I don't have to give myself away anymore to people or to things. I don't have to yoke myself to to drugs or alcohol. I don't have to do these things any longer to try to find some sense of, 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 of peace. Because when Christ flooded my heart, oh, there was such peace. And even in the seasons of of chaos in my Christian walk, there's still peace. There was still Christ to cling to. Even in times where I wanted to give up and turn back, Christ was there to remind me. He's there to remind you. Where are you going? What is back there? 
Look at me. (laughs) Stay focused on me. I am your hope. I am your peace. I love you. I am your creator. You are mine. Oh, yes, God. Oh, the joy that we can have as Christians to live in a fallen world and to not go the ways of the world. That's the hope that we have in Christ. And he's reminding them of this. And he's reminding them of the persecution that is upon them. So I don't play games with you all. I know it's challenging to live as a Christian out there. And it's going to get worse. As the days are approaching to his return, it's only going to get worse. And that's why we better be clinging to Christ and we're clinging to the church. (laughs) Because everything out there is going to destroy you. But in Christ, you can get up. Remember in Genesis where it says, sin crouches at your door. Its desire is to master you, but you must master it. You must get up every day and know you have a purpose to live. Not for yourself, but for Christ. For his kingdom. For his glory. By his power. God, how can I love you and others better today than I did yesterday? How can I serve you and others better than I did yesterday? When we live self-absorbed lives, that's danger. There should be the flashing lights warning you. That's dangerous. When you're so caught up with yourself, that's dangerous. Because that's not where you belong. You have to learn. You have to be discipled. You have to grow in, in a way that you learn to deny yourself, to pick up your cross and to follow him. Of, of, against all obstacles, you will endure. You will get through. He has you. He is for you. He is not against you. He loves you. You need to remind yourself. You need to get up every day. You need to let the enemy know, I know whom I belong to. And today you are not ruling my heart. You're not ruling my mind. Come against me as you will, and I will remind you how great his love is for me. And the seasons and the the years that I lived in panic and anxiety and depression as a believer, that's how I spoke. That's what got me up, even though there's days I didn't want to get up. But come at me as you may. Like you're only out to destroy me. But let me remind you of the one who loves me. Are you reminding yourself? Are you testifying every single day? Because everything that you're giving yourself to out there is out for your destruction. And it's only found in Christ and in Christ alone. Your hope and your peace. When the addictions try to pull you back. One drink. (laughs) One puff, one snort, one pill. When sex and perversion tries to rule your mind and your heart and pull you back, you need to be able to stand in the assurance that says, no, I don't need you to feel better. God created sex and it is to be good and it is to be honored as God has designed it between a husband and a wife. And apart from that, I'm not giving myself to it. Because what good is it? 
I'm not going to watch porn. I'm not going to look at dirty magazines. I'm not going to give myself to anyone and everyone just for a moment of pleasure. That doesn't do anything for you. It just leads to destruction. You better know your enemy. He's out to pervert. He's out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But your God, if you are a Christian, is a God of love and life and wholeness and peace. No matter what you're facing, these people are storing up their sins. (laughs) They think they're getting away with it right now. But remember, our topic today is is the return of the Lord. And either you're going to be caught up with Him and you're going to experience the fullness of what your hope has been or that terror that you're feeling, you're going to experience His wrath for all eternity. And it's not because He's a bad God or an angry God. It's because you chose to say He wasn't God. Remember, if God gets painted, Jesus gets painted with a bad picture. I mean, that's the most craziest thing. To give people hope, to tell them of the one who came to lay his life down for them. People get angry at They killed him. He served them. He loved them. He provided for them. And they wanted him dead. But all along, it was God's purpose. Remember, the ways of God are different than the ways of the world. Like, it doesn't make sense in our natural mind that the persecution of Christ, the persecution of the church, advances the kingdom of God. But it does, because remember what I've always told you. God's love is being revealed through it. No greater love than this. That one would lay down his life for his friends. Love is being displayed throughout all creation as Christ laid down his body and as the church lays down hers. That's beautiful. You are an expression of his love to all creation every single day that you lay your life down and you say, yes, Lord. Not my will, but your will be done. And the world is going to hate you for it. But that's okay. The church is encouraged to remain joyful and hopeful in the midst of it. He goes on, dear brothers and sisters, after we separated from you for a little while, (coughs) though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope and joy, and what we be, I'm sorry, after all, what gives us hope and joy, and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. What benefit or what encouragement do you have as a Christian to see your faith multiplied in the lives of others? 
It's very discouraging to be a Christian. (laughs) It can be. But you have to keep looking up. You have to keep looking up. You're not the only one. There's a lot of Christians throughout the earth getting up every day living for Christ, going through discouragement. But what hope do we have? First, it's Christ and Christ alone. And then second is to see others living their life out in Christ. That's the joy. That's the hope. What will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when He returns? It's you. It's you, He tells them. Finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens and we sent Timothy to visit you. So yet Satan was hindering them from coming back they said, well, if we all can't go, one will go. There's always a way around the enemy and his tricks and his plans. Remember, he's out to hinder the advancement of God's kingdom. But he can't. There's always a way around. And so Timothy was sent to visit them. He is our brother and God's co-worker proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him, listen to why they were being sent, or he was being sent, to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. Did you hear that? You understand the importance of what it means to continue to encourage believers. The enemy was keeping them from getting to them. But Timothy got through. And his sole purpose was to encourage these believers and that they would not be shaken by the troubles they were going through. But I love how he goes on here. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Notice how he didn't paint them this picture of your best life now. No, he says you are destined for trouble. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. That is why, when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. Paul needed to know about this church and how she was doing. He couldn't get to her, but Timothy could. And his sole purpose was that he needed to know whether their faith was still strong. He says, I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. I'm telling you, this is what brings such encouragement to preachers, to other Christians, 
who are discipling other people. And every one of you should be discipling people. It's to see that your labor was not in vain. That their lives have been impacted. And that they're living for Christ and they're standing firm in the faith. He goes on, how we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill the gaps in your faith. May God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God, our Father, when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again with all his holy people. Amen. Again, he's making them look onward to that hope of Christ's return. He goes on, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord to live in a way that pleases God, as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of our Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passions like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Remember when I opened up this letter to you, one of his reasons of writing was to correct the church and how she was living. He was dealing with the adultery that was going on in the church. He was dealing with the drunkenness that was going on in the church. He was dealing with their issues of sin. Like that's not how you're to live. That's how the world lives. That's how people live out there who do not know God. They give in to every type of pleasure that's out there. That's all they know. So we don't hate them. No, we have compassion because we were once there. We know what it's like to be a slave to it. But now that you're a free person, you can't help but to announce freedom in Christ. And so he's reminding them, that is not how you're to be living. He goes on, never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this manner by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins and we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teachings, but is rejecting God who gives us His Holy Spirit, or who gives His Holy Spirit to you. A lot of people think it's man who's made all these rules. <laughs> and they're resisting they think they're resisting man's rules. But they're not. They're resisting God. God has set up this standard, this way of living, not to keep you from fun, but to allow you to be free to experience the fullness of life, not to keep you from life. He's the author of life. He knows the way in which you are to be living. And His ways are good, you all. And he, there, he, Paul is reminding them of this. He goes on, But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. 
Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. I love that. Are you loving others? Especially in the body of Christ. You should be loving others. And you should be asking that your love would even increase for others. Yes, you love the lost and you have compassion on them. But the love for the body of Christ should be developing in you daily. How can I serve the church? How can I love her even more? How can I disciple and encourage others to remain strong in their faith? And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. Because remember, these believers in this church, they were having some concerns about their families who were believers, not unbelievers, but believers who have already died. He says, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Understand that. If a believer passes, we have hope that we will see them again. And you say, but what about an unbeliever? You're not going to see them. And I know the church nowadays, which isn't really the church at all, they like to establish the fact that everyone's in heaven. Oh, we're going to see you again. What kind of craziness is that? Not everyone is going to heaven. They have to accept Jesus. They have to have a strong faith and a bold confession. Yes, are there deathbed confessions? Yes. The thief on the cross, as he went to breathe his last, he called upon Jesus. <laughs> yes, that can happen. But why are we offering that to people? Because that may not come. And then we try to paint their life as if they lived this God-fearing life their whole life, and they never did. And I don't want to just keep promoting everyone going to heaven. And then in the same statement, just because one looks like a Christian, always in church, no scripture does this and does that, if their heart really isn't in Christ, they will suffer the same as one who, who don't know him because they don't know him. They were just religious. And you say, well, how do you know if I'm saved? By the fruit of your life. And that's why we as Christians don't hold truth back from people. You should be telling people about Jesus. You should be encouraging them to come to faith in Christ. Because if you're in Christ, you've been born again, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, so that when He does return, you are caught up with Him. It's the hope that we have. You can live with the assurance that you're saved, but not because of your works, but because of Christ. These believers were concerned. They, they, were, they were starting to doubt. They, they didn't understand. And he's reminding them. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. You have hope. That's why it's so important that the church collectively is living out her faith. Because we have hope. We have hope. We don't mourn like the world mourns. No, we have hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when he returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Oh, that's great news. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, first the believers, look at that, who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. I told you before I became a Christian, I thought people who talked like this were crazy. But now that I'm a Christian, and now that I'm understanding prophecy, and now that everything that we're seeing happening now in the earth is in the Bible. This was written thousands of years ago. It's fascinating. When you open up God's Word and you go, oh my goodness, this is happening now. Like prophecy is being spoken about what the world will look like what's happening to Israel, what's happening in the Middle East. All of this is in this book. Man couldn't have written this book to make sense of it. So it's like, oh God, you're real. Like, oh my. It's only going to get worse. And you say, but where's the good news? Open the book. Jesus, from the beginning of time, from the Garden of Eden until the the eastern sky splits and he returns... It's all about him and his love for his creation and for those who would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God, I am not good enough to fix myself. God, I need you. And even in days in which, God, I am not in and of myself, in the right mind, I can still trust in you because it's all about you and what you've accomplished. This is the hope of the resurrection that we have. He goes on, Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief of the night, when people are saying, everything is peaceful and secure. Then disaster will fall on them, as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pain begins, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. Listen to this. For you are all children of light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-hearted or clear-headed. Night is a time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you already are doing. To encourage others, to love others, 
reminding them, especially if they're Christians, that they are of the light, they are of Christ. And if they're not, share the gospel, share the good news with them. We don't hate the world. We don't hate those who aren't Christians. No, we love them. We have compassion. But we're not to withhold from them the good news that we have to share with them. Remember, the enemy's working overtime to pervert the things of God. He knows his time is up soon. And he's perverting truth to distort the truth, just as he did in the beginning when he approached Eve. Remember, his purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He goes on, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you, who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of, of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ returns again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a sacred kiss. I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Wow. He's instructing the church. Remember who you are, whom you belong to, and remember he's coming back. Stay bold in your witness and confident in your hope. Are you bold in your witness? Are you confident in your hope today? If not, draw close to him. <laughs> Call upon the name of Jesus. Have the assurance of who he is. Look forward to the day of his return. I don't let the chaos any longer consume me. I see the chaos that's out there. And it challenges me to even be a more of a, of, a, of a witness to others. To love Him. To honor Him. We're going to close real quick in 2 Thessalonians. It's a little short letter. It's part two. He had to write them again in order to clarify the things that he just said. Listen to and I'll give you the introduction of this. Good communication is essential for understanding one another's thoughts. Often the message we receive is not the message the other person intended to send. This is what happened with Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. In his first letter, Paul had explained that Christ could return at any moment. But apparently, some believers misunderstood this to mean that they should stop working and simply wait for Christ to come back. 
Paul meant to encourage them not to give them a detailed schedule for the future, so he wrote 2 Thessalonians to correct this misunderstanding. Paul began his second letter by encouraging those who were still enduring persecution for their faith. Moving quickly to the heat of the matter, Paul explained that no one knows the exact time of Christ's return, only that he will return. He explained that this great day of judgment would not take them by surprise, but would be preceded by a series of recognizable events. Therefore, in light of Christ's sure return, Christians should lead lives that are above reproach. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. In his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with the mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who do not know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with an eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, Praise from all who believe, and this includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to make it, to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Are you expecting him? Because he can come at any moment. Past two weeks, I set up every morning and I watched the sunrise in the east. And each, each morning it was glorious. I said, but God, it's not going to compare to the day of your return. As I sat there expecting that sunrise to break through the clouds, or to come up from the ocean. I said, God, I'm going to live every day expecting your return. Because, God, you're coming. The signs are very clear. There's no way around it. If you're truly in Christ, and you truly are being discipled, and you're opening up the word, and you're understanding prophecy, that's why he told them in the other letter, don't scoff at prophecies. Understand prophecies. Understand what the word is saying, because it's pointing to Jesus. This is all we have to give people. Jesus. Point them to Jesus because he's coming back. Look how crazy the world is getting. And it's getting crazier and crazier by the hour, by the second. The things that used to be hidden in the dark are now being displayed for all to see. And people are drawn to it. Like I said earlier, over in Europe, people who once we're in a homosexual lifestyle, and now they proclaim that they are a Christian. They are being arrested. Their license are being taken away from them. Their livelihood is being stripped of them because they're looking like they're the enemy. 
If I lived over there, I would be arrested. You look at a a seven-year-old boy whose father has to go to court and fight the mother from transitioning him to being a little girl. The world is chaos. And even when they argue their point, their point is mute. And they don't even see the, the stupidity of what they're saying. This is the age in which we're living. Where drugs are on the increase, where the occult is on the increase. Where darkness is running amok. Violence is at, at, at an increase like we've never seen it before. Sex is every which way. Sex trafficking is on the is increasing. Chaos is brewing. The world is unstable. But Jesus, this is the good news, you all. How can we get up every day? No, you're not to fear the world. No, you're not to fear of what's coming. That should prompt you to live right. To live for Jesus, to tell others about Jesus. I mean, you can even just look at our own political issues going on in America. We have a party who is trying to oust the president behind closed doors. They're not even working to make the country better or to make their areas that they're governing better. Because all of it's tied in to the rest of the world because the enemy's plans and purpose is to have a one world government, one world religion, one world currency. And you see truth being pushed back against. Oh, the church better wake up and say, wait a minute, we're living. Like if there's any other days that has been upon the earth, I mean, this church was years ago and they were being instructed to look, he's coming. We don't know the day and the hour when he's coming, but we can surely recognize the times and the signs that the Bible gives us. We don't have time to play games and to be entertained. No, it's time to get grounded and rooted in Christ because our home is being prepared for us. He's preparing a place for us and for eternity. And I want all of you there. In eternity, I want to share in the joy joy and the hope in Christ with you now and then. I want us all to look up and to look forward to his return. And I want us all sharing the good news with everyone else. He goes on, now dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet Him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself 
as God, is God. The Antichrist. There's going to come a figure on this earth who's going to do such things. And you say, well, he's going to place himself in the temple, but there isn't a temple. But keep your eye on Israel. The temple's going to be built again. And when we start seeing these things come together, we know what it's pointing to. And people are crazy. There are already some people who say, God, Christ has already came. In fact, when I was in seminary, it broke out that night in class that the, that the professor and he brought in his church who decides to tell the rest of us that Jesus already came. And we were all looking at them, and I remember other people started arguing. I remember sitting there just going, what? Of course I left. I didn't stay. But it's amazing how people can twist the things of God for their benefit. How the enemy perverts the word of God in order to gain ground. Don't you remember that I told you about all of this when I was with you? And you know that what is holding him back for him, I'm sorry, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For the lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. The man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. So yet though all of this stuff has to take place, remember Jesus is coming. And he will put an end to all of it. And the church should say, yes, Lord, come and come quickly. He goes on, this man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. They then, I'm sorry, then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing truth. The enemy's out for our destruction. But God is out for our good, you all. As for us, we can't help but thank God for you. Dear brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, we are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation. A salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. He called you to salvation when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to both in person to you, both in person and by letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. Pray too that we will be rescued from wicked and evil people, for not everyone is a believer. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. 
And you, I'm sorry, and we are confident in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command you. May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. It is God who works this in us, you all. It is God who works this in us. I was reminded this time off of these past weeks that I didn't do this in myself. I wouldn't have called this to do. I wouldn't have chosen this to do. Like God has done it. And has He done it for you? Only you can answer that. Has He transformed you from darkness into light? Do you have the assurance and the hope of Jesus Christ? of His kingdom, of eternity with Him? Are you about your Father's business? Are you sharing the good news? You ought to be. He's encouraging them. Don't get, don't get strayed. I mean, don't get deceived. Don't stray away from truth. Everything is going to bombard you to try to make you stray away from truth. But stand firm. Remain rooted. Your hope is in Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives. And don't follow the tradition they received from us. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. I love that. They had a right to ask, but they knew that setting the example was more important. So that these believers will learn how to live. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Believers are to be productive people. We're not just to be sitting on the sidelines. We're to be productive. We're called to work. And and everything that we do, we do as unto God. You work as unto God, not as unto man. Yet, he says, we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and to work to earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Listen to what he says to them. Take note of those who are walking in disobedience. Stay away from them so they will be ashamed. And so again, we see a command in Scripture that we're not to stay away from those who are lost, but within the church, those who are saying they are Christians, who deny God's power, who who are living idle lives and meddling lives, we're to have nothing to do with. He says, take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so they will be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, though, but warn them as you would a brother or sister. Because, again, 
the whole point of seeing them reconciled back to Christ. It's the whole point. We want others to grow and to be rooted in Christ. We want others to mature and all of us growing and we're all moving forward. (laughs) He ends by saying, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. I do this in all my letters to prove they are from me. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And that's where we finish today. And I wanted to share those two letters with us today to encourage us in the coming of our Lord. And that's why we're walking through the Bible. We're walking through the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and Proverbs. We'll pick that up next week. And my hope is as we're walking through the Bible that you would know your God more intimately. That you would live for Him. The times are not going to get easier. They're going to get harder. And there's going to be everything that's going to press up against you to try to pull you out. But you remain firm in Christ. And you won't if you're not, if your roots aren't growing down. So I challenge us today to let your roots grow down into Christ. Know Him. Love Him. As you wait for His return, you all. Because He's coming. He's coming. And there is a way in which we ought to be living. And it's a way that honors Him. Amen? I'm going to close this with this last song. And then I'll close this in prayer.